Well, let's get going. Um, thank you very much to everyone for joining us today. Thank you, Alex, for, for taking the time. Yes, thank you. Thanks for including me. That's an absolute pleasure. So my name's Patrick Nelson. I'm the Managing Director and Founder of Reach Markets. And uh, today we have our Meet the Funds Manager session on, uh, and we're joined by Thorny Investments, one of Australia's most successful private investment companies. Uh, and we have the founder and executive chairman of Thorny Investment Group, Alex Wiseless. So again, thank you for joining us, Alex. I'll, I'll get to uh, a bit more of a detailed introduction of Alex in a moment, but uh, for those of you joining one of these sessions for the very first time, they're an opportunity to meet directly with a funds manager or an industry professional, and uh, we invite along uh, at our trading sessions and investor sessions some of the most successful traders and investors in Australia. I would like to run the session informally and it's more of a fireside chat to get insights into, uh, direct insights into the market view, uh, you know, but also a discussion around how, uh, you know, uh, professionals make decisions and any lessons they can impart on us and at the moment what themes uh, and investment opportunities are being focused on. So we'll just go through a couple of housekeeping uh things first of all. So uh, any advice contained in today's presentation is general only. It doesn't take into consideration your personal circumstances and you need to decide for yourself whether it's appropriate for you. Past returns are not an accurate indicator of future returns. And I'll leave up uh, Thorny's uh, disclaimer there just for a couple more moments. Uh, if you've got a question today, uh, bearing in mind that there would be a couple of hundred people on the session, so there could be quite a lot of questions, I will, uh, I will manage those questions. Um, and, uh, you, but just type them into the chat box. So you'll either have a question box on your screen uh, or a right red arrow will open that up for you. Uh, or if you're on a mobile device, there should be a question down the bottom of the mobile device. Simply uh, click on that question. It'll give you the opportunity to ask a question. Someone's just put a note in there saying that they are muted by the organiser. Everyone is muted. Uh, it uh, Chaos reigns if we have the microphones open for everyone to talk. Uh, so just type the question in. Uh, I'll MC the session and just put those questions to Alex um, as uh, as we're going along at the appropriate moment. I've got a couple of my own questions. Alex has got a few things to talk about, but it really is very much an open forum for you to ask those questions. Alex founded Thorny Investments, uh, and the, you know, the Thorny invests in a variety of listed and unlisted investment opportunities, uh, predominantly in Australia and, and the US. Uh, it's a private investment vehicle, or as the family office side of it, uh, they've got a lot of flexibility in in, how they, uh, in their investment strategy and mandate. Um, but uh, they, they 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 take a you know a large part in investing in you know in smaller investments, typically sub two hundred million, high growth investment businesses listed in the on the ASX uh, since two thousand and thirteen. I believe that was when they started the uh, listed uh, investment opportunities in technology um, business, which is tech and top. Uh, stock code is T-O-P and T-E-K, and I'll, I'll show you those codes later. Um, uh, and so that uh, investors, every investor can get involved and uh, take advantage of the Thorny team uh, and, dry, uh, and, the, and, and the quality that they, that, that they bring to the investment process. Thorny was founded back in 1991, I believe. Uh, Richard Pratt was uh, the uh, seeded Alex. 
uh, in his uh, for his invest for, for the for the seed investment capital. Um, and Alex's background was working in the eighties for uh, legendary entrepreneur Robert Heinzekorp, um, who was Australia's first billionaire. And uh, and and obviously going through uh, the eighty seven crash, lots of valuable lessons I imagine learned there as well. Um, but uh, Thorny, uh, I guess you, you'll often read about Thorny being quoted as Thorny is involved, uh, and uh, it very much for in the investment community and professional investors is something that we'll listen out for and be very interested to hear if Thorny have taken a stake in investment. Uh, it can make part of our decision-making process to pile in behind. So um, Alex, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for taking the time. Yes, thanks very much, uh, Patrick, and to everybody who's listening in today. Um, we don't do this too often, uh, but uh, happy to do it and uh, share a little bit of our um, journey. And maybe I'll just spend a few minutes on the background, Patrick, if that's okay. Uh, yes, well, I've come to this point in a roundabout way, uh, not a traditional uh, fund manager, not a traditional analyst or dealer on a trading desk. Uh, I'm actually a lawyer by background, uh, and uh, as Patrick said, uh, I went off to join with, uh, uh, after a stint on Wall Street, actually, uh, joined with Robert Holmes, of course, who was a uh, leading entrepreneur out of Australia as he expanded overseas, uh, and I co-opened his uh, New York office, um, and I was pretty young at the time, but really, um, he was an incredibly impressive and successful individual, so I learned a lot at his feet, and um, Many of the lessons I learned from him uh, when I came back to Australia, I decided that was a path and a career that I wanted to uh, pursue. And that was really to um, find value, identified value, hopefully where others had not identified it, uh, work how to get a position, an equity position, uh, or albeit it could be a debt position, but anyway, an equity exposure primarily, and try to... Uh, ride that equity up uh, the curve of growth of a company. So uh, provide seed capital or help them expand, uh, help them with ideas and thoughts and have an active relationship with the uh, management, with the board. And indeed, as time went on, we got to, with growing experience, to uh, sh help shape up the uh, leadership of a group, the capital structure and the strategic uh, direction. So... We've done a lot of deals in uh, both private companies and in public companies. We expanded as an organization. We do some real estate and we do other things. But our main activity and what we're primarily known for is um, public companies or those companies that are going to go public. And really, uh, we're looking for, we started off primarily in the micro caps, moved to small caps, uh, mid caps, uh, which we primarily do. Those companies where we can have some sort of impact we feel through dialogue with management and so we're not just financial analysts uh, of course we do that we do the background work we're not just screen traders who spend all day long in front of a computer pre-covid we spend all that time getting to meet the companies walking around touching feeling trying to build relationships uh, so we can be uh, part of that uh, active journey and we focus on value we focus on growth we focus on where we can be a constructive change agent, all with an idea of getting an absolute return over the mid to long term for all shareholders, including ourselves. Uh, I ran this as a private company for many, many years. 
and then um, uh, about five or six years ago decided to enter the field of what I guess you call a fund manager, managing other people's money. And we did that through a um, taking control of a, a failed listed company and repurposing it, uh, which became known as Thorny Opportunities. And that would directly uh, parallel the experiences I was talking about, value, growth, constructive catalyst, and participated in uh, quite a number of uh, businesses that we were able to, in fact, engage in that. And we've uh, up until this uh, past year when the volatility with COVID, we've probably averaged a mid-teens kind of return, uh, including dividends, um, and it's a pretty um, successful journey. We do have a mandate to invest the private company alongside, and that often gives us an opportunity to have a larger shareholding and therefore potentially more influence or more say or more ability to have a dialogue. Um, with the success of Thorny Opportunities, uh, we expanded and did a second LIC, uh, also in another space where we were a relatively early investor, which was in the technology space in Australia. We were early investors in companies, say, uh, like Webjet in Australia. So uh, because the risk profile, uh, obviously with technology, disruptive, innovation, new business models was different to the more traditional companies that tended to end up in thorny opportunities, we decided to create uh, a second LIC, as I said, Thorny Technologies. And I wanted to create something somewhat unique to give to Australian investors. So that is a company that can invest along the life cycle of uh, technology uh, corporations. That is to say, listed public companies, pre-IPO and even earlier Series A or B or C or even a few uh, startups. And uh, because we'd been doing that already privately and we'd expanded our network to uh, the United States through San Francisco, Silicon Valley, Boston, New York, and also into Israel, which is a strong technology hub, we thought we could create something that gives uh, unlisted opportunities as well as the listed sector. So the listed are more public, obviously, and we can transact them. And the unlisted, which we hope will be the cream on the cake as they develop over the next one, two, three years. So it's a unique offer, offering, particularly in tech, because Australian investors can't get that proprietary deal flow from those overseas opportunities. Uh, together with what we're doing in Australia, gives a blended uh, boutique global tech uh, uh, perspective. Thanks, Alex. How, how involved do you get with the companies? Do you roll your sleeves up uh, and get involved in driving management, or you know, or, or I mean, if you find yourself in in the businesses taking an activist role? Yes. Uh, look, our view is um, we want to be active. We want to be interested. What we've found, particularly with the small mid cap companies, is that the leadership. Uh, and what's driving the leadership is very relevant. They don't often have enough capital for a big buffer in case something goes wrong. So you want to make sure that the strategy uh, is we agree with and also that they have the capability to execute on that strategy. So we spend a lot of time on um, trying to understand what's driving the leaders, what are their passions, uh, motivations, skills, 
what are the right skills to supplement that by having on the board of directors and the chairman around them. Uh, we don't like rubber stamp people who are just there for being a name director. We prefer them to be more involved and certainly to have more equity alongside us. And I take the view that uh, as the largest shareholder in Thorny Opportunities and the largest shareholder in Thorny Technologies, uh, I wanted to perform and my money is alongside all the other investors. And so I take a very active proprietary role. To some extent, that separates us from a lot of other fund managers who are just purely raising other people's money and they get their fee structure. We do both. We have our money right alongside and we want it to perform. In wanting it to perform, I want to know what's going on in those companies and therefore we're more active than uh, perhaps many other type of managers. Uh, yes, we spend a lot of time on uh, uh, those things, people, leadership, and we're certainly uh, not shy about coming forward with our ideas. Uh, we'll we'll uh, follow, we'll give the management the benefit of the doubt, but if we think they're not performing, we will quickly either exit the position if we don't believe in them, but if we yep. believe in the underlying business, and, and we have a kind of a loose saying that there's no such thing as a bad business, it's usually bad management, um, that we will uh, play a role. And in that regard, we're pretty active also in turnarounds or recapitalizations as a company may go through a transition and we will be an anchor in uh, capital raising and lead the transition and the turnaround. And we've had some of our uh, most successes from um, entering some of those companies that others think are broken or have given up on. And yeah. we really like getting our hands uh, dirty, rolling up our sleeves and helping to turn around those companies. And it's a very enjoyable experience and very rewarding um, and satisfying if you can do that and help restore value to uh, the company and the employees and all the stakeholders. Yeah. In, in, um, is there any uh, like warning signs for you when you're looking at a business um, that, uh, to steer clear that you could identify? Uh, yes, I think, uh, you know, we, we tend to look at when uh, founders perhaps are selling out or selling down their shares or when they're stepping back. We want to make sure we understand what's the reason for that. Um, and, but that is tends to be a warning signal. Uh, when companies become less easy to contact, uh, less easy to have uh, dialogue, um, then... Uh, that's another warning signal. Um, if they're going on, you know, acquisition kind of sprees uh, without visible signs of uh, synergistically putting the businesses together and instead of waiting for that to occur properly with uh, tangible, transparent outcomes, they go on to the next deal. Uh, that's yeah. a warning signal. Uh, if they're taking on too much debt uh, without uh, driving the cash flow, that's another warning signal. Those are in the sort of top companies. And and in the tech ones also, um, you want to make sure they're not just uh, hyping the story and trying to jump on the bandwagon of what's a proper thematic. You want to make sure that the, the, the business that's being built and the technology being developed and the people are trying to commercialize it are really focused on, on their jobs to be building a real business uh, not just something that may be a faddish kind of opportunity. Yeah, yeah, okay. Do you apply any macros, uh, top-down, um, 
view onto your investment process? Oh, yes, uh, uh, of course. I mean, we're very um, target-driven. We're very um, stock-selecting uh, type mm-hmm. of people. We're not that uh, sort of worried about uh, particularly index movements, but we are conscious of the thematics uh, that are that are around, and we, you know, travel, uh, you know, a lot around uh, the world to see where those opportunities are. So uh, thematics that we like are things in the uh, medical medical technology, uh, diagnostics, therapeutics, devices, as, uh, as uh, this, it, you know, we feel that's uh, a very strong thematic. In Australia, obviously, you've got the growth of superannuation funds, so we've been investors in uh, platforms or financial uh, technologies that take advantage of that. Uh, we saw the changing trends of people moving away from their confidence in banks and in uh, credit cards. So we were pretty early investors in the fintech space, the buy now, pay later uh, thematic, and that's been uh, good for us. Um, Right now we're very uh, keen on um, uh, uh, companies that can take advantage of the big infrastructure spend that's happening as uh, governments globally and certainly in Australia try to... uh, reinvigorate the economy and, uh, uh, you know, we're talking about tens of billions of dollars, uh, which mm. are companies that are good value that can take advantage of, of that type of thematic that's going on. So we certainly do. Thank you. And do you have a view of um, the economic fallout that's going to come out of this COVID crisis? Um, and do you think we're through the worst of it? Well, look, I think one of the things about being a bit older, and you alluded to my uh, early days when I started, is I have been through a number of what were called uh, crashes, I guess, or massive market market dislocations or gyrations. So um, are all uh, crises similar? Uh, No, but do they have a lot of things that are familiar? Uh, Yes, and one of those things is that... um, crisis and uh, massive uh, uh, disruptions are not uh, overnight sensations. They take a long time to play out. And uh, here we've been dealing with uh, obviously a massive uh, health crisis um, uh, globally. Um, uh, Even though the numbers are going up in Australia on a relative basis, we've done really well in Australia, but uh, the economic consequences are huge. Uh, we've already seen in public companies, uh, um, you know, probably 30 or 40 billion dollars of new capital being raised to support uh, balance sheets of companies whose businesses have stopped or suffered. Um, small um, businesses, uh, family-owned businesses, individuals, employees are suffering and will continue to suffer. So, uh, I think the uh, consequences are uh, uh, potentially enormous. The scale is very big. Um, and we're uh, only um, uh, at early stages of that being played out. I mean, we have JobKeeper, uh, which is great, and that's been extended to lessen the blow and help a lot of uh, people and businesses. Um, um, the, the banks are, to some extent, being very com- uh, complace- complacent in the sense of not being as harsh as they were post the GFC at the moment, but that could change. Um, and I think, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to struggle through this and it's, uh, it's going to be very sad, but that's going to cause a lot of economic damages uh, to a lot of companies. Uh, but 
in that there'll be a lot of opportunities that emerge as well as we were talking about recapitalizations and so forth. So for an investor, it's definitely a time to be cautious. Um, if you'd been too cautious, you would have uh, been on the sideline. And as we know, one of the other drivers of the market is the fact that there's very low interest rates. Um, so you're battling with a couple of competing uh, uh, big, large, huge actual um, influences on the market at the moment. And that's going to have a lot of uh, volatility. And mm -hmm. it's got still, uh, you know, a number of years, in my view, to play out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you see any particular sectors or businesses that you believe will come out of this strongly that you're focusing on? Oh, yes. I think, um, yes, there's going to be plenty of businesses. Uh, the, the strong will survive and, and get stronger and uh, they'll... Uh, um, you know, there'll be a, a bunch of mergers, I think, and corporate activity that uh, that will emerge. Um, as I said, I think particularly uh, those companies like the buy now, pay later, the afterpay and the zip monies, uh, uh, which we've been very active in in Thorny Technologies, will take advantage of uh, the hastening of trends we already knew, which was online uh, purchasing and, um, uh, you know, as opposed to bricks and mortar. Uh, that's a big um, that's a big thematic that a lot of companies will take uh, advantage of. Those who are streamlined in their e-commerce platform, those who um, can uh, uh, deliver an experience uh, online to people. Uh, so there'll be many winners that actually emerge out of this uh, space. Um, but there's also going to be a lot of uh, problem uh, um, residual companies too. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got a couple of questions I might throw to the audience for a few here. Um, let's go up to the top. Um, question on uh, what's your opinion for increased decrease on gold stock um, in the short term? Well, I think we've, I mean, uh, or why gold has moved and moved significantly over the last 12 months and even the last couple of nights we've seen some big moves. Um, so, uh, to some extent, we've already had a, a significant move. Uh, will it continue? It probably will as uh, cautiousness and concerns about some of the reasons for volatility that I just mentioned um, uh, uh, continue. So, it's likely, I think, uh, uh, without being a commodity expert or anything along those lines, uh, you'd think that uh, if the concern and volatility does continue, which I think it will, then gold is likely to keep uh, performing. Um, and we've seen a lot of capital being raised for gold exploration companies and operators uh, just in the last uh, month or two. So uh, it's a popular thematic right now, and uh, uh, capital is available to pursue that. Um, but again, uh, you know, you're cautious. You've got to make sure the quality of theirs, the operation, it's not just, uh, uh, you know, you've got to find the right company, the right opportunity in that sector. Okay. There's a lot of uh, retail participation in the market um, March into April, and I believe the, 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 those levels are still high. They, they dropped, they're tapering off a little bit. Um, what's your view on the impact the retail, you know, new retail investors has had on the market over this, you know, this last? Yeah, uh, look, months? I think it's uh, been uh, very significant, and perhaps more significant than people uh, anticipated. And we're seeing record kind of trading volumes on. Uh, yeah. 
to a lot of the investment houses and platforms like Robin Hood and eToro. Um, yeah. So I think with people having uh, more time at home, they're doing a lot of online uh, trading. Uh, the chat, the sophistication of technology to share commentary and, and chats is, is out there more, um, uh, more accessible. So I think that's encouraging people to uh, talk about more positions. Uh, look, I think people who have, who have uh, funds in the bank, who have uh, got uh, see an environment where there's very low interest rates, they're seeing this is a potential place of return. Now, the problem with that is that, you, um, you know, uh, uh, often uh, individuals who are relatively new to the game are not sophisticated investors. They haven't been through cycles as active investors, and there's a risk in that that, uh, you know, they're chasing thematics, chasing hot positions uh, without really knowing a lot about what's going on deeply within those uh, companies. So if I, if I turn back to Thorny Opportunities, we, we're sort of the opposite of that. We're a very experienced group of people. I've been in the game for 30 years, and the management team at uh, at Thorny is pretty experienced. Uh, we have a blend of ages, but they've been around for a while. They're all professional investment analysts or corporate finance people. Um, and we dig deep and do a lot of due diligence uh, as we can. And that's why we're able to participate in some of those turnaround stories and other things uh, where, where others uh, have, uh, you know, traded their way out of it. So, if you look at, say, the three largest positions in um, Thorny Opportunities, uh, all three have been turnaround scenarios, which have uh, uh, ServiceStream, company that uh, does a lot of the uh, cabling and uh, utility work around Australia. They do a lot of NBN work, Telstra work, uh, gas metering, um, uh, other things like that. That was a turnaround story that... Uh, we led that turnaround, led to the balance sheet being strengthened, new uh, CEO, uh, new chairman, etc. Now that's returned for us, uh, you know, probably more than 10 times our money. The company is now, uh, you know, a billion dollar type of market cap, uh, paying a very nice uh, dividend uh, with lots of potential work ahead. Now, uh, if you're a, a trader or a short-term player, you would have probably missed that opportunity or not stuck with it. Uh, AMA is another one, which was a failed automotive parts business, has been one of the uh, people who were involved in it uh, uh, in the past, stepped back in and sort of turned it around. Now it's got professional management, and uh, you know, but it's been volatile through this COVID period, but it has emerged as the largest uh, player in Australia in uh, smash repair uh, panel shops for uh, vehicles. Um, amongst other parts of the business. That's the majority. And they're now professionalising and uh, uh, corporatizing that uh, uh, sector, which had many uh, sort of mum-and-pop uh, panel beater shops. So that's a pretty exciting uh, company, and they're taking uh, a lot of benefits of scale. Uh, Money3, which is a financier to um, uh, the automotive sector, second-hand car um, market primarily, as a lender, has done very well and has got a lot of growth. Um, and Pala, which is a turnaround story again for a, a licensed opium uh, uh, manufacturer for uh, pain medication, is a really exciting story, which is now fully vertically integrated and has now 
hopefully got the opportunity to uh, ramp up its revenue and possible and profitability as a global operator. So uh, we go deep and we look for opportunities where there, we can come in with good value and then we can stay on the journey uh, with the management, often new management, to really exploit the success uh, of a team. And putting together, Patrick, a good management team is very hard. So once you've uh, uh, got a relationship with them and you see they're going well and the strategy's right, you don't really want to get out too early. A lot of people um, sell their profitable positions too early, don't maximise the results of their work and the opportunity, and often hold on to their losses psychologically for too long. So you see that a lot with uh, early uh, traders, but hopefully we're, uh, we've been around for a while and we see when there's opportunity to go further distance. Um, yeah. So that's kind of our view view on that in relation to the day traders versus what we do. Uh, maybe a short answer to this question. Uh, Bernie had asked, do you think short selling uh, should be allowed? Uh, overall, I think, yes, it's a legitimate uh, part of the business. I don't particularly like it. It's not a really active part of our um, uh, operation. I, I prefer, uh, you know, uh, growth and expansion and not limiting that. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's a tricky situation because if you look at certain companies, um, it's hard to gauge exactly where they are in between certain announcements. Uh, so there's an opportunity for shorters to step in there and uh, dislocate the price mover. But I think overall it puts management on notice that they have to um, uh, constantly um, communicate with the investment community and, the more they do that, the, the less likely shorters will uh, uh, take advantage of a misunderstood story. And uh, ultimately, I guess it puts pressure on companies to perform. So as long as you're performing, as long as you're communicating, um, then I think you can, um, you can combat uh, the shorters. But uh, I do think it's a legitimate part of the market, although I don't particularly like it. And i just give you an example, a stock that we've got in... Um, in Thorny Technologies and in the wider group is a company called uh, Mesoblast, which is a uh, very innovative uh, player in the life sciences sector focusing on stem cells. So um, the journey about therapeutics and drugs is, as we know, a long journey. You've got to go through, if it's in the U.S., uh, process through the, uh, the FDA. You have phase one, phase two, phase three trials. Um, so you've got many milestones to achieve. And so in the case of um, Mesoblast, they've achieved many milestones, but often because of the gap in timing before you get the scientific data from a trial, there can be a void of information because uh, under the auspices of the FDA, you're not allowed to reveal the progress of the trial. And often short sellers will step in at that point and try to... Uh, push the company down, they're spending money, they expect the company uh, in the absence of a deal with pharma may have to raise more capital, so they tend to want to push the company down so to get prepared for the next capital raising at a lower level. So it's a constant battle, but that is a really interesting company that we like, we think is on the cusp of uh, hopefully being running one of the Australian great success stories going forward with innovating regenerative uh, medicine. Yeah. Uh, I had a couple of questions around 
for you know how you uh, how you locate startups, and so I might wrap it into one question on behalf of those people asking. Um, someone has referred to a Shark Tank like scenario. How do you line up companies so that you can review? How do you locate? How do you review enough of these to find the the good ones? Um, yeah. and, and and what's that process look like? Well, I think, again, that's the advantage that we've been around in a professional investor as a group for many years. Um, you build, uh, I guess, a network of um, uh, brokers, um, uh, uh, business dealers, fellow investors uh, that you've come across on the journey. Um, so a lot of our uh, deal flow comes from people we know and we've done transactions with in the past. Uh, we've been pretty active in uh, attending uh, forums and uh, conferences around the world, and you get to meet like-minded investors there, um, and that's another source of deals. Obviously, our own research through reading a lot and um, following up on companies and uh, um, potential spin-offs or other uh, directors that may have been at those companies is another source. And then specifically on the technology space, uh, we've created a couple of alliance partnerships, one in uh, uh, San Francisco in the sort of Silicon Valley uh, hub and another one in Israel in Tel Aviv uh, with uh, sort of a, a, another uh, a group over there. So we are partners, investors, uh, alliance uh, um, partners, as I said, with them. So we have a great source of information and deal flow from those uh, groups that we've uh, aligned ourselves with. And the other good part about that is it gives us an ability to give an international perspective on the startups or, the, uh, or uh, the tech we're looking at. So, in other words, what may sound unique in Australia, is it really unique? And if you've got good uh, contacts overseas, you can see whether it's something that many people are attacking uh, and also we can do a lot of comparative valuation and other metrics on them. So a global uh, network, I suppose, is where we get a lot of our sorts of information and also from our team's uh, uh, own work and reading. Um, but, you know, uh, we, we, our, our issue is not deal flow. We get plenty of deal flow. It's a question of filtering through what we think is good enough risk-reward opportunities. And... Uh, and where we want to position ourselves. So, for example, in Australia, particularly in the technology markets, we're known as one of the few, uh, few small groups to have a mandate to invest in pre-IPOs. So we would get to see a very high majority of those companies that are proposing to IPO and think they're within 6 or 12 or 18 months of doing that. And um, so we're very active in that uh, space. And being active in the pre-IPO market is a very powerful position because, one, you get set at a lower price, entry price, um, uh, and it may be through uh, convertible uh, notes or preferred equity or something. But two is you get to um, build a relationship with the people on the road to the IPO and help them where we can uh, on that journey and make sure they're working with the right investment house for their story uh, are they raising the right uh, amount of money for their their requirements? They're um, uh, putting the right people on the board. Their uh, management is uh, 
well uh, incentivized formula is there and has well been considered. Um, the strategy and the priorities have been thought through so that you can easily explain what the capital is being used for, hopefully with the right uh, buffer, and also position ourselves to get additional shares um, at the IPO when it occurs, if we like the uh, story. So, And then we help to guide those companies, as I said, right through the IPO. In fact, in uh, Thorny Technologies, we've got one about to come to the market soon called uh, Credit Clear, and uh, we're pretty excited about that company. Again, it's a company that can take opportunity of really the COVID world at the moment. It's, it's basically an app to help uh, corporates collect the money that's being owed to them. Uh, think of uh, CityLink or utilities or uh, other people. It's a reminder through an app on your mobile phone that your, your bill is overdue and, uh, you know, uh, it, it's proven to be a very streamlined and efficient, uh, successful uh, tool for companies to liaise with their clients or customers. So look out for that one. It's coming to the market soon called Credit Clear. Um, just a, a quick um, maybe synopsis on what the what sort of hurdles uh, are set um, for assessing these businesses, so the sort of size, you know, those, those types of elements that allows you to sort of go what qualifies for a, to, to actually get or not. Yeah, well, I think um, we've, we've said um, with Thorny Opportunities, um, it's a more concentrated bet because uh, we, we delve uh, deep and these turnarounds often take a little bit of time to come through. So you want to have a big enough stake that you can be influential in that repositioning and then you can uh, uh, have a, uh, if it's successful, a big enough re reward from it. So. Uh, we might have positions that are even as much as 20% of the portfolio at a certain point in time, uh, and then progressively that will re reduce. But it might be skewed for various periods of time uh, un uh, until such time as uh, uh, when we take advantage of the particular situation the company's in at that point in time. And then a later point in time, we might reduce the position like we've done with um, Service stream, for example, we were a 20% uh, shareholder at one stage across our wider group, and I think we're now at about 5%. Um, so we've just sold out progressively once uh, the register builds up and fund managers, uh, institutional type, uh, become uh, increasingly interested in the story when a lot of the risk has been taken out. So we're happy to take that first part of the risk, maximise the return, and then yep. sell down progressively the, to those who are more comfortable at a later stage investing. And that's a little bit the same with the technology space. Um, uh, you know, not everyone's comfortable with uh, early stage investing. Not everyone's comfortable with pre-IPO. They want to see the company up and running and, and launching at a different stage. So we will skew the position, um, you know, to take that into account. But we never put ourselves in a position where any one deal can really um, – um, uh, destroy the value proposition of either thorny opportunities or thorny technology. Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, what, what do you think the Australian government can do to support innovation uh, and Australian uh, entrepreneurs and, and companies uh, really investing in themselves? Yeah. And, and, uh, and then uh, uh, to that, yeah, oh, sorry, oh, there you go. 
No, I, I, I say I've thought about this a lot, and uh, recently I gave a talk at Monash University, the graduate uh, ceremony for the business school uh, executives, and I sort of raised that. And uh, I think I think it has to be uh, happen on a number of levels. The governments need to work as early as the university sort of process to support uh, innovation uh, and give incentives in that regard. Um, they, they do have a structure that supports a, a, a tax-enhanced environment for early stage, uh, but that's not that commonly known and should be encouraged more widely. They should invest money themselves where they can at a certain point in time uh, to support innovation, and they've done that. For example, there's a company called Carbon Revolution, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, which is in our portfolio for any technology. That came out of Deakin University the material science uh, lab. It was to do with carbon fibre for uh, wheels, for vehicles. Um, the university um, uh, gave them some land once the um, um, PhDs had lodged the patents in it. Uh, the government came in and gave them some funding to build out a uh, pilot uh, plant. And then as the pilot plant showed success, then... Um, uh, private investors came in alongside and eventually in a pre-IPO and eventually a public company. So that was a collaboration between the universities, government and private uh, enterprise. And that's a model that works more. But I think what the government needs to do is they need to um, address industrial relations in this company to make us more competitive. Um, energy prices as well are obviously a problem and some of the uh, major things there. But they should give R&D grants more actively. They should uh, create more vibrant uh, tech hubs, which they sponsor. They should uh, allow more innovation awards. They should uh, enable, I think, the Future Fund, which is our sovereign wealth fund, which is probably about $150 billion. I think it probably should be giving a half a percent or one percent of its farm every year to support uh, companies that um, are, are innovative, disruptive, and particularly the homegrown ones. I mean, the chief scientist's office in Israel, for example, a much smaller economy and country, have uh, been given $500 million a year, I think, or ballpark, by the government, and they have been told you must actually deploy it. You must give it to support companies that, are, that qualify under their criteria. So that's a real... Um, a driver of the innovation that's over there. And I think we need to have those powerful drivers uh, as well. Yeah, thank you. Um, how would you compare Australian uh, business people to, say, what you see in America? Uh, and possibly another comparison would be to, uh, you know, a very entrepreneurial group over in Israel. How, how, how would you compare the Aussies? Well, I think um, uh, that's a good question, an interesting question. I think um, there's no doubt uh, Australians have the, um, the skill and the intelligence and the innovation uh, to compare with anywhere in the world. You can see it with some of our scientific um, journeys that have resulted in world worldwide uh, successes, CSL and Cochlea, for example, hopefully Mesoblast. And you can see it for more recently in the fintech space where Afterpay, zip money, uh, you know, have gone global. So we do have the smarts uh, in this country. But what I found has been different is the attitude to 
um, taking a risk and the um, approach to what happens if you have a failure. So uh, in Israel, for example, uh, you know, everybody goes into the army there and, you know, they judge risk by being in a military kind of environment. So when you come out of the military and you go into a commercial risk, that's hardly the same risk as if it's a life and death scenario. So they're used to risk and the culture in uh, Israel is almost, if you don't have a go, um, you're almost ostracized for not being brave enough. Whereas I think the culture in Australia is a lot more conservative and the, uh, the penalties of uh, failure are uh, much, um, uh, make you much more tainted. In America, uh, you see many people who have had a lot of failures that they encourage to try again, learn from your mistakes, be brave and uh, go again. And they're rewarded and they're sometimes often the heroes. Um, so the mm. fear of failure is, uh, is not as strong in uh, uh, those two countries as it is, I think, in Australia. The other thing we've got here, which, uh, you know, everyone talks about uh, um, and, and, you know, blames on our sort of Anglo roots out of England, is more the, what we call the tall poppy uh, syndrome. Um, people are not uh, fated and uh, applauded with success here as they are overseas. So. Now, everyone overseas, they look at someone who's successful and say, great, I'd, like, I'd love to be like them. What can I do to replicate? It's not really the same thing here in Australia. Often we try to bring down those people who uh, take a risk and we ridicule them or we look for the smallest uh, um, situation which might embarrass them. And I think, so culturally, I think that is uh, quite a dramatic difference um, but in terms of the smarts and the capabilities, I think we're equal equal to any of those countries. Yeah. Um, Alex, what uh, a, a couple of people asked about what was the motivation be for setting up uh, the listed entities um, uh, as opposed to keeping it private? Well, I suppose, uh, you know, we touched on it uh, just a second ago, I guess, entrepreneurship and uh, and doing something different and having a go. So uh, I, w- I was, you know, very happily and uh, successfully going along with the private uh, companies, and that was fine. Uh, and what we found, though, was a lot of people uh, approached uh, me personally and said, look, can we invest alongside you? Uh, we like the way you go about it, uh, the focus, the determination, the, the due diligence you do, the, um, uh, the, the, the risk mitigation strategies. Um, so um, uh, that was one of the motivators to see if we could uh, do it on behalf of other people and uh, share the success, if you like. The other reason yeah. was uh, when we were talking to companies and if they were not um, engaging with us in the way we wanted to, we thought, well, maybe through a listed vehicle we could bring the spotlight on those companies or those um, individuals who lead those companies to engage more with us in a dialogue because we could uh, promote the fact um, through the listed vehicles that perhaps they were not. On the other hand, if they were doing the right thing, we could promote their success as well and um, and that would be, be also a positive for the company. So if they weren't performing and they were doing, in our view, uh, uh, not being dynamic enough in how they were going about restoring value, then we could bring that out in public. If they were, we could compliment them and uh, make uh, 
and educate more people and uh, about those companies that may they may not may not be well known. Yeah, and there's a combination of some of those uh, some of those uh, reasons that led us to have another try and also uh, to spread our wings further, I suppose. So, so do you think that Thorny has a role in uh, to play in educating and updating the market on the investments that it holds within its portfolio and the companies and advocate its positions and so forth um, for the market? Yes, well, I think um, uh, we're not particularly good in marketing, and that probably comes from being a private company for so long. Uh, we're just learning, and we've, uh, you know, internally we've agreed we're going to make ourselves more wide known through talks such as we're doing today, and um, um, uh, reveal a little bit more about how we go about it. Uh, in doing so, I think the the best way to show what we're doing is to talk about some of the individual companies that uh, that populate the portfolio and um, and and if asked why did we go into them and what we see as their potential and uh, I think we'll back our record on that not that we don't make mistakes of course and not that things don't take longer and so on but we've had a pretty good track record uh, over the years um, amongst the best in the country so I think that uh, if, if we're comfortable enough uh, investing in, in some of the companies' portfolio, I think uh, it's probably self-serving for the investors in top and tech to have it known. But I think it's good for the good for those companies get, uh, who we are investing in to be um, revealed, particularly the smaller ones which may not get a lot of coverage at this point in time, or those that have fallen from grace, which. Uh, have probably been uh, over-savaged by the market who may not know about the turnaround that is that is going on and who may just have a memory of this as a, this as a company that's had problems when, as I said, turnarounds have been uh, some of our greatest successes from those uh, fallen from grace but have, have uh, like a phoenix, comes back from the ashes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, I, I'm, I'm mindful of time, so I might ask, uh, have you got time for another question, Alex? Yeah, sure, let's do one more and then I uh, better get back to work. Yeah, yeah, all right. So um, uh, Gunnel has asked, could you talk about risk mitigation strategies that you use? Yes, well, I think um, that's one of the things I just touched on before and I guess... Uh, that's why we've, as a group, been able to go the journey, I guess, through um, the GFCs and through other crises, Asian uh, crises, tech crises that we've seen before. Uh, we've survived all of those and um, indeed have, uh, albeit gone down, but then come out stronger at the other side. I suppose the, the, the biggest risk mitigation is the fact that we do um, as much work as we can on the companies and we dive deeply into it um, and try to get the best understanding of really what are the drivers of the business, what are the moats around the business, um, what are the challenges to the business and how are they positioned with their business model to uh, succeed. So I suppose going deep into the companies is the first real level of risk mitigation in terms of why did you make the investment altogether. Um, we also talked about uh, the weighting, what's the right weighting in the portfolio so that uh, nothing can hurt us really too much for any extended uh, period of time. Uh, 
buying well, uh, buying at the right entry price and having disciplines about that is, uh, gives us a buffer zone if things don't work out uh, as robustly as we uh, hoped. Trading around our position a little bit to uh, keep lowering our effective entry price is something we do. So in the case of Afterpay, we've been buyer and we've been seller actively. In the case of Zip, similarly. In the case of Misoblast, similarly. Um, and uh, uh, some of those things is uh, what we do to stay on top of, uh, of the position. Having enough uh, cash to average down if we think it's appropriate or average up if we want to sort of drive it uh, harder uh, is also important. So we can be somewhat flexible given the market conditions external to our own um, sort of research and fundamental work. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I think just... Thank you very uh, much. Just... You've mentioned quite a few companies today. Uh, go ahead, Patrick. Sorry, Alex, you go. No, no, go ahead. No, no, I was just saying thank you very much. I'm, I'm just mindful of your time, but you've mentioned quite a few companies today. So what I'll do is I'll get someone to list off the stock codes of those businesses and we'll send around uh, this session to everyone that got online today. There was a lot of people on. Alex, thank you very much. Much appreciated. I know you don't do a lot of this type of thing, um, but it's been very insightful. Uh, we've had a lot of nice comments there. Um, and I'd also like to thank Lance Rosenberg for encouraging you to joining us, join us today. Uh, thank you for the introduction, Lance, and um, we're most grateful to have you along today, Alex. Uh, for those of you that uh, want to follow this, uh, the companies, put them in the, the codes in your, um, in, in, your, in your list right now and you can buy them on market. And if you can't beat them, join them, right? Um, so, it, you know, well, it's well, amazing. Thank, thanks yeah. very much, Patrick, for having us. I mean, the LIC sector, most investors will know are down at the moment as a general sector. So we're trading uh, ourselves at uh, significant discounts to NTA, 20, 20, I think as a June numbers, 23% in top and 25 yeah. or so percent in uh, tech. So uh, I'm buying more shares in uh, tech and have been, and we've got a buyback going on in top because we think that uh, uh, we're being punished by the general sector uh, yeah. and we think we know the portfolio best. I'm the biggest individual shareholder. So... Uh, we're here for the long term and we're going to continue to uh, drive the growth and uh, performance and hopefully that narrow the gap of the discount and indeed go to a premium at some point. So yeah. thanks again, Patrick, for having us. Uh, thanks, Lance. And thanks to all the listeners. And happy to answer further questions through emails uh, through you, Patrick, uh, to our office. All right, we'll coordinate that. Thank you very much again. And to everyone that's taking the time to join us today, thank you very much. And I think Alex's last point is an excellent one. Um, that, that opportunity to buy something at a discount at the moment uh, as an asset value is, is, a, is, a, is a great one. So, uh, again, stock codes are there. And uh, any further questions, just come back through the REACH team and we'll facilitate them back to Thorny. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Thank you.